morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88. Right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the double L team, Larland. Lawson. Lawson. What are you thankful for this morning? Mate, look outside. How yeah. good is it? No. It's raining. It's just dull and cold and damp. It's not even cold, miserable. though. It's not even cold. I was almost going to wear like shorts. It's like eight degrees out there. No, it's not cold. It's, you know, some it's nice, 11 degrees. nice okay. rain. Not cold would be 27. No, no come on. Like. That would be not cold. Well, I think It's cold. Yeah, but it's, like... It's, it's barely in double digits. It's warmer than it has been. Definitely. I woke up this morning oh, and yes. my, my toes weren't hurting, so... That's always a positive. I was like, this is good. Yes. I'm also thankful for no Japanese frostbite. food. Okay, so you're thankful you don't have frostbite this I'm morning. I'm thankful I don't have frostbite. I'm thankful I ate Japanese food last night. Uh, I think I think you're becoming Asian. No. Every don't day you say come that. on don't here. Don't say that. Every don't day you, say you talk that about like, oh, Asian ha- food. You know, you know what? You know who says that to me? Who? Asian people. And I'm like, <laughs> no. No, that is strange. That I don't claim. No, I just like eating Asian food. And yes. hang out with oh, Asians. Absolutely. And it is, you know, all of that is. Uh, actually, I'm doing some of that tonight. I'm, I'm, uh, speaking on a Zoom meeting for a, uh, Korean, uh, church in Brisbane. I rest my case. Yeah, shut <laughs> <up>. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, no, I'm totally on your side here. Absolutely fantastic stuff. All right. What are you I, I, I just, I just like all cultures. I'm thankful for all cultures. Amen. You know, our world would be so unimaginably boring if everyone was the same. <laughs> if culture. everyone was like us. Yes. <laughs> We're pretty boring people. I don't know. I'll, Did I say I'll, yes to that? I'll claim to be boring. You can be boring. I'm yeah. not boring. Yeah, okay. Fair I'm, enough. I'm, I'm not boring at all. <laughs> You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Fantastic stuff. Okay, let's talk about some positively different news this morning. Oh, what do I want to talk about? Uh, okay, okay, I have three things to talk about, Lyle. Take your pick. The first one is Honda. The second one is wastewater. And the third one is elephants. What do you want to hear? My favourite animal is elephants. Uh-huh. I own a Honda. Uh-huh. Let's do it that in that order. Okay, okay, we'll start with elephants first. Okay, so basically, uh, the IRL, the real life Operation Dumbo Drop is currently underway, Lyle. This is insane. You know, elephants, they're known for their, their long migrations, uh, and doing it all by memory, as, you know, people know, elephants are seriously smart. But have ele- elephants ever migrated from Kent in England, uh, to Kenya? No, I do not believe so. No. Now, maybe there used to be a land bridge across there and could have been possible, and maybe mammoths started in Kenya and went to England and then across to Russia. I don't think you so. You would need two land bridges. I don't. One from England to mainland Europe. Yes. And then one from Europe to the top of Africa. Europe to the top of Africa? You could you could go oh, that, through that... the Middle East. Yikes. Yeah. That'd be a trap. I'd just rather just go across the bridge. <laughs> I, I have my doubts. I have my doubts. But anyways, point is, is that uh, that is what's going to happen, but it's going to be by plane. They're going to fly They're going to fly. They're going to fly elephants. 13. Flying elephants. 13 captive elephants from um, the wildlife reserve in Kent in England to Kenya. Wow. Yeah. Are they running short on elephants? In- well... 
that. <laughs> no, essentially, you- essentially, it's part of this program uh, that is run by the... I had it in front of me before... Um, by an organization that, oh, the Aspinall Foundation. Um, they're a super, super experienced, um, foundation that essentially takes elephants from captivity, um, and relo, you know, reestablishes them and relocates them into the wild. Oh, wow. And so that, this is their new project. They've done this with all kinds of animals before, lions and tigers, meerkats, like all these. I wonder how well they go when they go from being in captivity and getting hand fed every well, day to being in the wild and have to feed themselves. Well, this is the thing is that they've had like, Almost a 100% success rate. Okay, so these guys know what they're talking about. They know what they're doing. They train them up. They get them ready to be in the wild. Like, they they really take their... And once they... They don't just chuck them in the wild and just leave. They look after them and they provide them with food and they make sure that they can adapt and all that kind of stuff. they observe I wonder whether they fly one down here. I'd like an elephant. Oh, yes. We could ride elephants. Nah, that would kind of not be great. You know, you know what's so funny that like at like you know like the Newcastle show and things like that when people ride camels, and I'm like, mate, just go to just go to Darwin or something, just go to to the desert and you can go and ride camels. But riding an elephant, that would be something else. And so it basically, would. basically, yeah, what they're doing is they they like currently they're training them up, they're preparing this special Boeing seven four seven. Dumbo edition. They're like literally making a special plane for them to be able to. Well, they're modifying a 747 to be able to fly them to Kenya because it's basically these 13 elephants weigh like 25 tons. Like, all together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and so they've got a full on jet airliner that they're taking them through. Um, yeah. And essentially, like, the Dumbo Express. The, yeah. The Dumbo Express. They're going to take them to Kenya, put them in the wildlife park down there. And yeah, they've currently actually this project is being over by Boris Johnson's wife. Um, she's taking a special interest to this. And, and so they've got uh, uh, political connections kind of making this all come together and happen. I wonder how the elephants are going to adapt to the different climate because the climate of Kent is Kent. much like the climate we have outside our window this morning. But like all year. <laughs> yeah, all year. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to offend all of our British listeners this morning, but that's what it's looked like every time I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, down in Kenya, well, I haven't been there, but we've been to Ethiopia. It's like right beside it. Right beside it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Very it, different. You know, high altitude, dry. Is yes. Kenya landlocked as well? Do they have a coastal section? I, I believe they do. Yeah. So, but for the most part, like these elephants will be living kind of off the coast. Yes. Like, yeah. So I, I'm just like, this is amazing. This is so great. I'm really looking forward to um, seeing seeing what happens. And I also want I want to see the research as well because they say, oh, we've got such a success rate. This is the first time doing elephants though. And I'm like, okay, let's see. You know, do these elephants just integrate and live their best lives? I would imagine so because they're being they're going from like a small tiny like zoo like enclosure to all of a sudden they're running around in the plains. In yes. Kenya, they're yes. going to be having the be- they're going to be having the time of their lives. Honestly, someone's texting in to point out that before the flood, the whole earth was one landmass, mm-hmm. and I guess that's not well. You know, all animals migrated from you know what's modern day Turkey, Armenia, somewhere in that region uh, to where they are today after the flood. Mm. So you know, animal migration is an interesting. Interesting thing to study and to research. It is. All right, Lyle. Let's let's look at oh, I was gonna say I was gonna talk about Honda. Now Yes, I own a Honda. I paid three hundred dollars for it. (laughs) 
<laughs> wow, must be a real beaut. <laughs> it's, got, it's only got it's only got two hundred thousand k's on the clock, which is low low mileage for a three hundred dollar car. Uh, but it doesn't run. No, it runs beautifully. Uh, it doesn't drive. It drives beautifully. It doesn't. You're not allowed to drive it on the road. It's not registered. The only thing wrong with it is that it's not registered. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. That is a steal. Okay, I need to get onto whoever you're buying cars from. But Honda are doing some things outside of cars. They've actually made an in-shoe navigation system to support visibly impaired people. An in-shoe. In-shoe. Like in your shoe. In your shoes. As in you put your shoes on. Uh-huh. And you, when you put your shoes on, you can navigate. Yes. Right. No, so check this out. So basically you have shoes, right? Yes. And you put these things, uh, they're like these insoles and then they have these like um, little boxes that go on top of the laces, like these tiny little boxes. And they connect to your smartphone, which is connected to, which is using the Ashirese uh, app. That's I tried my best to pronounce that in Japanese. It's essentially like their version of Google Maps. Right. And they connect to the shoe and basically you can walk and it will send you like vibrations Yes. In your shoes, that will direct you. So if you're about to bump into something, it'll be like, yeah. And while you're ever going the right way, it's just like. Yeah, whilst you're going forward, it's just like, um, basically. But if there's stairs coming up, it'll. It'll, yep. Do some beat uh, as well. They say like you will it, like this doesn't relinquish your use of the you know walking stick and yeah, and those things. Sure. Uh, I, I don't. Uh, there's a specific name for the ones where they they swing them side to side and like. Yep. But I don't remember exactly what it is. But essentially, what it will do is so you'll have that. You'll be able to see like you know you'll be able to navigate what's immediately around you. But say you wanted to walk, you know, five k's, you just like. You know, put your shoes on, sync it to your phone. Yeah, sync it to your phone, just like, or text a speech straight into the phone. Hey, take me to Tokyo Station, and it'll be like, yep, and it'll lead you the whole way there. Amazing technology. Hopefully, your battery won't go flat halfway there, but anyway. <laughs> Yikes. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. So, um, let's talk about what's happening in the world. This is a story that's just broken out of the UK where they are pushing for. Uh, the the, uh, the the government to ban conversion therapy mm. without religious exemptions or loopholes. So this is an interesting one. Uh, this is happening at a national level. Of course, we have this here at a state level in Victoria, and it's been an absolute disaster mm. uh, for religious liberty. But now they're do, they're pushing for it in the UK. Of course, Boris Johnson twelve months ago uh, promised to uh, ban conversion therapy. And what I find most interesting is that since you know the end of any kind of, you know, we're 20, what, 30 years past any kind of abusive, you know, kind of conversion, conversion therapy, therapy doesn't that, even exist. Yeah, and, and it's like how would, how do you define con- conversion therapy, you know? There's, yeah. There's, there's no way of defining conversion therapy. In a world therapy. where it doesn't even happen here. Like, so they're banning something that doesn't happen as far as, you know, um, the coercive, abusive practices from 40, 50, 60 years ago. Yeah. This is not legislation that we need. Mm. All this is is an excuse to persecute Christianity. Okay, so uh, on Thursday in the House of Commons, MPs considered the impact of Pride Month in the lives of LGBT plus people and discussed the government's plan to ban conversion therapy. Mm. Um, this can, this therapy covers a wide range of practices and does not have a clear definition. This is the key right here. Um, interestingly, it states. 
from acts most Christians, and I would say all Christians, consider abhorrent, such as abuse or fast forcing, fast, uh, forced fasting, to things such as Christian community, uh, praying with a same-sex attracted person who wants pastoral support to not act out their sexuality. Mm. Uh, the debate was led by Labor's Dame Angela Eagle. She urged the government to introduce a ban on all forms, saying, as a minimum, they must introduce a ban on conversion therapy with no religious exemptions and no loopholes. Okay. In other words, probably a more draconian piece of legislation than what Daniel Andrews passed down in Victoria Mm. in his all-out attack on people of faith. Mm. And now they're talking about doing the same thing in the UK. It's going to be interesting to see how this uh, moves around the world. But again, I think, so we haven't gotten the terms yet. I think because it was the specific terms of the conversion therapy ban in Victoria, that was the problem. It wasn't the idea of conversion therapy. We don't have... We don't have the terms of this one yet, but we do have what's being debated. Yes. And we do have what is leading the debate from the Labor side of the mm. argument, which is pretty much the same as yeah. uh, so what took y- place in Victoria. I guess well, once we receive the terms and then it says, like, you're not allowed to pray for people just like in Victoria, it's yeah. like, yikes. Well, that's <laughs> what they're pushing for. So we need, need to pray for the United Kingdom right now mm. because, you know, when people start discussing these kinds of things – uh, really, what this is is just the government coming out and just going after people of you know people of faith across the board. Mm. And I just want to say right now, and I've said this over and over and over again here on Faith FM: if you want prayer for something, I don't care what it is. Mm. If you need prayer, you call us. Our number is zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Because what Christians do is they pray for people. Mm. Regard we we don't we don't. Ask permission from the government to pray for somebody who requests prayer for something that they are struggling with. It, it's super interesting too, as well. Just just talking about prayer, like I, you don't know every single person who's praying for you or every single instance, but I can honestly say in my life, like I would not be where I am today without people praying for me. Uh, without, of course, having a prayer life for myself. But just reflecting on my journey, I see, like, you know, uh, actually around the time I became a Christian, uh, before, like, up until that point, I was, like, depressed and suicidal and struggling. My sister had started praying for me because she, she started doing a Bible study series. She wasn't even a believer. She was d- dating a Christian guy. They started doing a Bible study series together. I was going through all these struggles, and so she started praying for me uh, that God would come into my life. And then it's like, oh, look where I am today. Like, God really works through prayer. So, guys, yeah, again, 0491 is the number to call. Please, please let us pray for you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this story coming out of uh, the University of California in San Francisco. Uh, they have an abortion clinic um, as a part of what they're doing, and they use the aborted fetuses for research in the university. Mm. Um, two documents have been released via the California Public Records Act mm. uh, from that to actually expose what's actually going on within this abortion facility um, where the University of Cal- California, San Francisco, uh, basically experiments with uh, viable fetuses. Mm. And... Uh, they have two of these clinics that they harvest them from, 
And what's been pointed out is that the induced abortions op- often produce live babies. And so there was a request made under basically America's version of Freedom for Information for documents and procedures and protocols that determine the viability of living children mm. and protocols and procedures for the medical care that is provided to living children. Mm. There were no documents provided because there were no documents to provide. In other words, there are no protocols or procedures for determining the viability of a living child once that child is born alive. There are no protocols or procedures for the medical care that you would then provide to a living child. Even if it was not viable, uh, it's not provided with palliative care. Mm. They're just left to die. It's just really chilling stuff. Um, What they were able to secure was the fetal tissue... Uh, uh, procurement logs so that they could actually, you know, see what was going on. And um, Bettina Di Fiore, who is in charge of uh, this particular um, research here, she points out that of uh, 40, out of 43 human fetal um, tissue procurement logs, 42 of them were documented as harvest, harvesting the genitalia and or gonads of the children. She said, it seems ironic that these scientists who work for an institution that postures itself as a frontline warrior in the battle for so-called reproductive justice spend their days mutilating the reproductive organs of people whose lives have been brutally ended under the banner of reproductive choice. Pretty hard-hitting kind of stuff right there. But that is kind of how it is. Yeah. Um, She's kind of calling a spade a spade. It's calling a spade a spade. (laughs) This is the situation at UCSF's Women's Option Centre is essentially a free-for-all where each abortion uh, survivor's life hinges on the whim of the abortionist paid to take their life. Wow. Uh, which is, which is it's rough to state it that way, but the University of California, San Francisco, has been asked to respond to these statements and has so far remained silent, chosen to remain mm-hmm. silent uh, on these particular issues. And, of course... Silence never looks good. Mm. It's like if you've got a response, guys, come out and give us a response mm. because these are serious accusations and we want to hear whether there's a justification for what is taking place or not. Yeah, wow. Well. Of course, is this something that is disturbing to you? And it should be disturbing for all of us, but if it's particularly disturbing for you, the lifeline number is 131114. Call that number or call us here on Faith FM and we can put you in touch with people that you can talk to because we understand we're here to support uh, people just as much before they go into a clinic as when they come out. Mm. That's what Christians do. We are here to support people regardless of what their decisions in life might be. Mm. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so joining us here in the studio this morning is Tara. Hello. And Tara, we are super excited to have you on the show. Thank you. Um, if, 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 if Lawson sounds like he's in a hollow room at the moment, it's because he's out in the, out in the other studio with producer Shell, and that's because of four square metre rule. Yes. Uh, because Tara's came in and taken his microphone. <laughs> Stolen. <laughs> Tara, we are so glad you are on the show and we want to hear about your journey of faith this morning. So where should we start? Let me ask, whereabouts do you come from? Well, thanks for having me. Um, I am from a little town on the south coast called Maruya. So Maruya, okay, so south coast of New South Wales. Yeah. Mar- I got marooned in Maruya once. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes, yes, we were flying up from 
Tasmania. My dad was a pilot and so flying up in a uh, Cessna 182. And the weather turned bad just north of Maruya, so we spun around very quickly, landed as fast as we could before it fully closed in. Stayed in the hotel for the night and continued our journey the next day. It's a place to be if you're going to get married uh, yeah. anywhere. Uh, it's the, the south coast of New South Wales is just gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. You lived there your whole life? I have. Up until now? Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. That's, that's all I remember, really. That's fantastic. Okay, so tell us about um, you, you're growing up in Maruya, you know, south coast. It's a fairly quiet part of the world. You've got beautiful beaches. You've got uh, beautiful mountains and so forth behind. It's a, it's a lovely place. Did you grow up in a Christian home? I did, yeah. I'm really grateful for the environment that I got to grow up in. Um, had um, Christian parents and, and relatives around me as well, so it was just a real supportive community. Yeah, yeah. And also, yeah, going to church with all of them in the, that same town. So surrounded by <laughs> really encouraging, supportive Christians. That's fantastic. So you've got a great support. you got brothers and sisters? I have one older sister, yeah. Yep, that's great. Okay, and, and uh, you know, these small country areas... How big, how big was your local church? Oh, oh, it was quite small. I mean, and as time went on, people growing up and moving out, it got even smaller and smaller. Which you've so, contributed to. Yeah, exactly. So I think there's maybe like one, one person under the age of 50 there at the moment. <laughs> um, no, I know. But, you know, it wasn't too bad being in a small church. I definitely really appreciate that because you get to know everyone really personally and sort of feels like a tight-knit family. Yeah, see, I grew up in that kind of a church. I grew up in a church, I think, by the time I moved away, and this was in Glen Hill in Tasmania. Big shout-out to our listeners in Glen Hill in Tasmania. But uh, but I think by the time I moved away, there was like 15 people there, but, you know, really close-knit community, mm. very, very special place, mm. and such great memories of growing up in that in that little country church, sort of out in the bush and whatnot. And uh, so, Tara, you, you're growing up in this... In, in, in this Christian environment, is there a point in your story where you have, you know, made that, you know, distinctly made a decision to give your life to Jesus Christ? Yeah. I mean, I guess if I narrowed it down, I could pick two moments where I was really intentional about um, walking with Jesus. The first one would be when I got baptized. That was right about when I was 15. I'm 20 now. Um and yeah, so I mean, my whole life I've been super aware of, I can't do this without Jesus. I need him by my side. So whether or not I was walking away from him or walking in his direction, I, I knew that and I knew he was always present. So that was, yeah, number one, getting baptized. Knew I wanted to do that. Knew I wanted to make that declaration of faith. And second would have to be like end of last year, start of this year, what you know ultimately led me to decide to do do Bible working for this year. Yeah, we're going to come to that. Uh, we're going to come to that story. Okay, so what was it that led you to make a decision to go and do Bible Bible work for? Yeah, um, I mean, what were your plans before <laughs> you were planning to do Bible work? Not Bible working. <laughs> it was doing uni. So I did uni last year in Canberra. And what were you studying? I was doing Asian studies. Okay. Yeah. And what does what, what that's interesting? Asian studies. <laughs> what, what kind of a, what kind of a job does that in, does that mean you're a diplomat to China yeah, or something? That, that's I guess being a diplomat is ultimately like a lot of the a lot of people's goal. Yes. Um, but for me personally, I was really not sure what I wanted my end goal to look like. Um, I knew I liked Japanese and languages, and so I was doing a lot of those sorts of courses. Um, 
So how good is your Japanese? <laughs> well, don't put me on the spot. <laughs> oh, it's a bit bit average at the moment. <laughs> do you know Do you know Hannah Nakagawa? That yeah, yeah, yeah. She comes here on, on so Faith FM from time to time. She's yeah. amazing. Have you practiced your Japanese with? Oh, uh, I've said a few words. Mostly <laughs> me saying oh, I've forgotten everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Okay, so you, you're at uni. You're in Canberra. Uh, you're studying. You're doing Asian studies. You've got this uh, bright future as a you know Australia's next diplomat to you know Japan, um, and then you decide I'm going to do Bible work. How did that come about? Yeah. So, uh, in a roundabout way, it was a lot of like um, just figuring out. Oh, actually, I have a role to play. It's not just particular people having a calling to to be a disciple for God. It's everyone. And, and that was, that sort of looked like basically me attending Canberra National Church while I was in Canberra and, and then making my way into having Bible studies with a group of people. And then I started leading the Bible studies and then I started just pushing myself out of my comfort zone and saying yes when people would approach me with, um, I don't know, just, just being active in different church events and stuff like that. And then, um, and then I was asked if I wanted to do um, Arise, go and apply for the Arise program. Yes, four-month uh, intensive uh, Bible uh, discipleship mm-hmm. college. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. And I that got cancelled, actually, because of COVID. I, I applied, but... Yeah. It was on, and then it was off, and then yeah, it was on, yeah. and then it was off. <laughs> so you applied for it, you got accepted, Yeah, yeah. and it got cancelled. Yeah, but ultimately, like, I'm really glad that I've just gotten straight into Bible working. Um, so through recommendation of Akil, um, in Canberra, one of the pastors down yeah, there, yeah, he, um, said that, you know, you could contact Blake Penland in, um, Roman Terrace Mission Church and see if they'll take you as a Bible worker. And I did. And here I am. <laughs> there you go. You applied. He said, yes, you're up here. You're doing Bible work now. That's pretty amazing. What's it like to become a Bible worker with kind of no training at all? I guess you're giving Bible studies, <laughs> yeah. um, small group Bible studies in Canberra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just launching it at the deep end up here. Yeah. <laughs> it's honestly, you know, you you just figure it out as you go. <laughs> <laughs> just, just wing it. Yeah, just yeah. a lot it. of pretending to, to know what you're doing. But, <laughs> but I mean... But I feel like that's the case for everyone. No, I mean, like, if you look at the disciples, for example, like, same kind of thing. They, they didn't go through any training program before they um, walked with Jesus and um, went out into the community. So same kind of thing. It sort of gives me that encouragement to know that I don't need to be taught how to, to do something. I can just rely on Jesus and just go out and do it and just be willing. I call it the apprenticeship model of ministry, and I think that it's an excellent model of learning how to do ministry. That's the model that Jesus used. And so if Jesus used it, it can't be that bad. In fact, it must be a very good method. I'm sad that we don't have a lot more of it uh, within our educational system because we we do tend to put all of our eggs in one basket and we create a one-size-fits-all. If you want to do ministry, you're going to go to this particular college or university or whatever it is and get your four-year degree or your six-year master's, you know, et cetera, et cetera, in, uh, in theology, and then you're qualified to do ministry. That's not how Jesus worked. That's not how the disciples worked. Mm. They followed the apprenticeship model. You look at Paul. Paul was always taking on apprentices. You look at Jesus, he had 12 apprentices. An apprentice is basically somebody who just comes along and works alongside and learns as they go, learns mm. on the job. Mm. Yeah, it's super is, valuable. That's, what, that's exactly what you're doing. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's fantastic. Okay, so how long have you been doing Bible work for now? Five months, yeah. Five months. Five months yeah. Okay, so you're up here for what, a year? Ten, ten in total. Yeah. Ten, ten months in total. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it'll be hard to leave, I won't lie. <laughs> <laughs> and then back to becoming a diplomat or <laughs> Potentially. What's, that, what's the future hold? Honestly, no clue. But yes. I, I'm I'm okay with that <laughs> because I know, like, yeah, I mean, God has a plan for me and, and thank God for that because I don't know what my plan is. Um, But it, it could look like... um studying or working or Bible working. I know that I want to continue Bible working, whatever that looks like. But yeah, not too sure at this stage. So even if you go back you could go to uh you could go to um University of Newcastle here and join Lawson's church and do Bible work there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, see see Lawson's giving it Lawson's pretty excited in there. He's like, Yeah, yeah, let's do that. That's we need people. <laughs> um, stay in the local area. I think you've probably made a whole bunch of friends here in the local area. Tell us about Bible work. What are, what are some of the experiences that you've had? What are kinds of things you're doing? I understand that you're involved with, I mean, Raymond Terrace is just one of these places. The Raymond Terrace Mission has all kinds of things happening. Mm. You've got you've got church happening there. You've got small groups happening. You've got an op shop. You've got a juice bar. Which of these are you involved with? All of them. <laughs> all of them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything else? Um, or was that or, enough to keep you busy? Yeah, I mean, there's a few little things here and there that you just you, you can't predict. They just pop up in the week and it's something new and, you yeah, you just learn it on the spot. I mean, um, you learn a lot of different skills. I mean, I'm, I'm handling money and learning how to deal with people and also, you know, doing a bit of admin work. So it it's cool. You know, you learn lots of different kinds of things. But um, definitely the juice bar and op shop are a super big part of um, – um, volunteering at Raymond Terrace. I mean, they're right out the front, right on the main street. Um, you know, people walking past in the community, that's the first thing they see. And um, it's just an awesome way of connecting with people that you otherwise wouldn't if you were just sitting inside the church and waiting for them to come to you. Yeah, and that's and that's exactly right because different – and this is what we need to recognise is that different methods are going to reach different people. Mm. You know, traditionally Bible work involves a lot of door knocking, for instance. And there are a lot of people who would never respond to, you know, somebody knocking on their door, but you can start a conversation with them in the op shop or the juice bar or whatever, yeah. and then they turn up coming to church. And yeah, exactly. And it walking through 100% the doors and Giving their lives to Jesus and being <laughs> baptized and yeah, yeah. all that kind of thing. With, uh, which, which ones do you, do you prefer out of the uh, op shop and the juice bar? <laughs> What's your favorite? Honestly, the juice bar. Okay. Yeah, I've grown a bit of an attachment to that one. <laughs> the juice bar. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I don't know, just, I've spent a lot of time in there and it's really fun, you know, just connecting with people while you're serving them and uh, I don't know, it's, it's good fun. Even um, even just the shop itself is a really cool environment. You've got all the all the juice names written on the wall and they have all these really funky biblical puns attached to them. So it's a very outwardly Christian um, shop. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And with the juice bar, I just have to ask a question. On a day like today, right, so you're smelling, <laughs> selling cold smoothies yes. <laughs> and I'm looking out the window, it's raining is miserable, is cold. We're going for a high of 14 today. How well are you going to do today? Uh, I won't lie. You know, these kinds of days mean it's going to be a bit quiet. A bit quiet, okay. <laughs> but you always get someone coming in. Oh, absolutely. And, and everyone's down for a chat. So. I, I, st- I still have smoothies all through the middle of winter. <laughs> I was, the other night I was like, she asked me what I wanted for dinner. I'm like, you know what? I'd love a smoothie. And she's like, are you crazy? <laughs> it's cold outside. I'm like, yeah, but I just, I just feel like a smoothie. <laughs> I won't, I won't lie, I relate to, to Shell in that sense that 
I'll watch customers come in on a rainy day and I'm thinking, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? <laughs> but I have to change that because I'm the one that's obviously selling it to them. Okay, so I'm going to uh, just put it out there for everybody today. If, you are, if you're passing through Raymond Terrace and, or, if you're, or if you live in that area, but, um, you know, of course, anybody going up and down the coast, anyone going from Sydney to Brisbane is going through Raymond Terrace. You're going to drive right past that juice bar, stop in there, Raymond Terrace Mission, and grab yourself a juice. It's going to be a, a cold smoothie on a cold day. It's just perfection. <laughs> Got to put it that way. Anyway, Tara, thank you so much for coming in and joining us this morning, sharing your story. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.